Um, so this episode's uncomfortable. Oh, are, are we doing it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Are... <laughs> yeah, I was recording an intro. Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let's do an official welcome. This is an episode about um, anxiety. About my anxiety. And well, about ours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. About ours. Um, yeah. And this is the intro to the episode about our anxiety. This is a this is a heavy episode. Um, not too many jokes. No, but we do talk. We talk about masturbation. Uh, yeah, but that's like in a joke. I it's mean, a joking way. I mean, <laughs> I mean, masturbation. It it. I feel like it needs to be addressed. Uh, probably every episode. I mean, it is. Mark, what do you? Do? <laughs> it's every episode. You. <laughs> I, I definitely i definitely bring it up every episode yeah yeah uh but yeah we talk about we talk about the things that not a lot of people talk about but things that should be talked about mm-hmm. like normalizing this idea that we deal with things internally is just something that no one really talks about and we really need to normalize that and so I think that's that's what this episode talks about today, is bringing to light the things that live in the dark. Mm-hmm. So quite a while ago, um, we had an idea about a separate podcast that we were going to do um, that dealt with uh, that dealt with uh, things that we wanted to um, develop ourselves in and grow and get better in and heal in and. This is so what that sort of transformed into is no, I think, you know, we're loose enough in the Mark Explains podcast that, you know, we can we can vary across episode. We could talk about, you know, simulation theory and then we can turn around and talk about, you know, art. And, you know, that doesn't have to, we're, we're not in some box, right? We're this podcast exists to cover all of the things. And so. This series, uh, which I think that's what this is going to be, is kind of the first episode in, um, to me anyway, I think going back to that concept that we had for, yeah. for a separate podcast, but it's not going to be a separate podcast because um, that's just silly. We're, you know, this this podcast is big enough for all the ideas. And so, um, so that's kind of what this is. We're, you know, we're going to, um, we're going to dive into it and uh, I'm going to tell some stories and Mark's going to tell some stories and we're going to, um, we're going to talk through some of it and, um, um, you'll hear it again later in the episode, but I really want to reinforce that, um, if you struggle, um, with anxiety or, um, thoughts of suicide or depression at a high level, it is really, really important that you take steps uh, to, to get support, um, and, and seek the help of somebody, you know, who's, who's qualified to help you in some way that looks different for everybody. Um, for some people that's a doctor, you know, and, and different kinds of medication for other people, that is not the answer. Um, but there, there's, 
there's a form of help, um, I think, for everyone who is struggling. And so please, please um, make steps to, to get that help. Um, that's my plea to you at the beginning of this. And um, Mark, is there anything you'd like to add? No, uh, thanks for coming on and listening to us talk about our issues. <laughs> Uh, but that's what that's what all this is about. We're in this together, um, and we're all just trying to figure out how to love ourselves and how to love each other the best we can. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Dude, it's good to see you, man. Um, this has been uh, hard to lock these this time down in order to. Uh, in order to record, but honestly, I feel like it's almost serendipitous um, because these past two or three days, um, I have come across some of the most interesting concepts and points um, of about all the things that we're going to be talking about today. I mean, I know that you initially were like, hey, I have some uh, I, I have a podcast that I want to run, which is, I dude, I love when you do that. I love when you, when I, like, if you have an idea that comes up, I love that because I mean, like I have like 40 or 50 that are always in my head, but I have no idea if, if anyone wants to actually talk about that shit. So like, it's whenever you come up with one, I'm, I'm always really excited. Can I tell you why I wanted to do this? Yeah. Yeah, please. Um, so I was, this was, I think Saturday, um, I was in the middle of a panic attack. Really? And, and normally, um, what I do is basically nothing. Like I don't have like a specific, um, coping mechanism or thing. So I just kind of freak out for a little bit. Uh, and then it ends, but How I decided long have you had like, these? um, like how long? I'm not sure exactly. Probably since, uh, uh, probably since childhood. Really? I can remember so, a few, yeah, I can remember a few specific times like in childhood and it's huh. more frequent as an adult, but, um, I decided, you know, I should do something different this time. So I texted you that I wanted to do a podcast about it in that moment. Wow. That's why, that's why we're doing this. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're okay, man. I mean, panic attacks, anxiety, it's a very strange world. Because there's a lot known, but there's also a lot unknown when it comes to how the brain and the body responds to internal and external stimuli and stress, basically, mm -hmm. uh, and how it manifests it into anxiety and then how it continues down that road and how your body has a physical response to an internal stimulus, which is really, it's really interesting to me. But it's only interesting because I've never experienced one. I've never had to go through um, uh, or process through any type of either panic attack um, or an anxiety or stress attack. I've never had one. Um, a really, really, really close friend of mine had one uh, right in front of me one time, which was very strange. Um, and I had uh, I was able to help her work through that in real time, which was a very strange thing. Um, but there's a lot going on in the human brain uh, when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to uh, the human brain 
responding uh, as a safety mechanism, basically. So I don't, I, I don't understand all the science uh, behind it. I understand some of the experience behind it, and I think I've, I've tried to um, try to wrap my head around, uh, you know, maybe if there were things in my life that happened or trauma or events that sort of led me to this and, and have, uh, I guess, given me this uh, in some way. I've tried to figure that out and work that out, but I don't, that's one thing that I, I haven't tried to wrap my head around is the, the biochemistry and, um, because there's a lot of that too, right? It's a lot of both and they probably work in tandem. There's probably things from like a circumstantial side and, uh, and a nurture side that trigger the biochemical side and the nature side, if that makes sense. That would be my guess. You know, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Can you, can you have things that like, so, you know, you, you develop these psychological uh, tendencies or these things that happen and things that you react to. Does it, does that trigger the chemical that then, you know, changes your biochemistry to react in a certain way or to feel a certain way? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it can, and sometimes it does, but I think I, it's important to first address um, like yourself and anyone that experiences these, like this is not something to be ashamed of. Um, this is not something that you want to hide. Uh, like this is a normal response, um, that not everybody has. Like some people are allergic to gluten and some people are not. And some people have panic attacks in response to stress and some don't. And that's okay. Like this is not, um, especially specifically speaking, like anxiety attack, panic attack. If you are somebody that has experienced these things, um, it's not something to be ashamed of or to hide, but also make sure you find somebody that you trust um, in order to talk and process through. Um, you don't want to go through these things alone. You don't want to do it. I mean, honestly, you don't want to do anything in life um, alone. Uh, but there are um, certain, obviously there are certain biochemical markers that happen in these times, but how your body processes is in, in completely and entirely unique to the person. I mean, if you want to talk about the science behind a panic attack, um, they all look different. Uh, you know, one person can have um, you know, uh, tachycardia uh, and, you know, um, increased uh, um, breathing patterns. Uh, they, um, in another person, they could have laughing hysterically in one second and then crying in the next second. Um, and they can't really control the emotional roller coaster that kind of goes up and down with those things. Some people feel uh, tingling in their fingers and their hands. Uh, some people get really tired and pass out. Some people can't sleep. So it's kind of across the board on how the brain is protecting itself. And it's a, the entire thing is a safety mechanism. It's your brain saying it recognizes a pattern of pain and it is, it's protecting itself. Um, and the entire, the entire concept behind this is fear and, um, fear, fear is an interesting thing. Um, like the only job that fear has, uh, is to take your past and project it into the future and, uh, which in turn robs, uh, it, it, it robs your present self of any chance of safety that you have, uh, 
fear is the thief of safety. And when you think, uh, when your brain is responding, what, what's happening is there is an internal dialogue that has somehow navigated to the needle over to fear. And it's funny because like you might not even think, oh, this is fear happening. Um, it's not a conscious thought. It's not a conscious thought like, oh, I am afraid right now. No, your body recognizes patterns that have happened and whether it's subtle or you don't even notice them, your brain recognizes a pattern and says, hey, this thing happened in the past which led to pain and it's projecting it into your future. And so it robs you of the safety now. And so then that's when things shift and change in your brain. And some people like for yourself, you have a physical response and you have to, you have, I mean, you have to recognize that the subconscious self lives deep within your brain, but so does your blood pressure regulation and um uh, and your uh, your heart your heart rhythmic like how fast your heart's beating and how often you take breaths and your temperature regulation and all of these things it's basically the core of yourself re is regulated kind of in the same area as your subconscious so it's all kind of like mixed right there and when your subconscious has a fear response because it used it, it it knew what happened before and it didn't know what to do, all of a sudden now all of those of those areas can be affected. And if you think about a fight or a flight, um, that's more or less what what's happening in your subconscious in in that in that uh, primitive brain of yours. Your body is basically going into flight mode. Um, into this fight or flight mode in order to protect yourself. I mean, that's the primitive, the primitive humans were fight or flight. You know, they, um, they're really good at not getting eaten by tigers and lions um, in the wild and staying away from cougars and like these things because of the fight or flight. It was the primitive brain keeps you alive. That's its goal. And it, because the primitive brain lives on fear and fear is the thief of safety. And so when your brain recognizes a marker that it recognized before, it can, in some senses, and in some cases, trigger a physical response. And your brain now, now it's confused. So then you have a physical body, your neocortex, you're sitting on your couch, you're obviously safe. There is no harm in this, you know, in the world physically immediately around you, you're, you're okay. And so then you have this cognitive um, difference, this dichotomy between your neocortex, which is on the outside, your, that you, your physical thought, and then your primitive brain saying, hey, no, there's, there's something, there's fear, something is going to happen. And you have this, basically this dissonance between the two. And that's when a panic or an anxiety attack happens because your body doesn't know what to do in that case. Hmm. So yeah, that, that sounds right. <laughs> I mean, that's what it, that's what it certainly, you know, that, talk that me fight through, or flight response. Talk me through what a, what a panic attack looks like for you though. So it doesn't feel like, um, like it's a big physical thing. Like I don't, I'm sure my heart rate changes and I'm sure my breathing changes and my blood pressure changes, things that are less noticeable. Like, it's not like I have a panic attack and I go, like hyperventilate and cower and some people probably have a you know a reaction like that for me it looks more like um um i 
I, it's, it feels so internal. Like I feel like I'm, um, the best way to describe it. Do you remember being in like elementary school, being like a little kid and being in trouble? Like the feeling of like, I'm really in trouble. Oh yeah. Like you did something and there's no way out. You're caught. You're in trouble. Yeah. Like you feel like you're, you feel like you're going to die. <laughs> like you feel like, the, like you, you know, you did something bad. You feel like you're going to die. That feeling is what it feels like to me. Wow. It's that dread, the dread. Like I am not okay. Wow. I am not, I'm not going to be okay. There's no hope. Um, you know, that's what, that's what to me a panic attack feels like. It's, you know, uh, it's that feeling and that that's the best way I can describe it is like I can remember being being a little kid and getting in a fight with a kid in the lunchroom one time and this kid ended up being like one of my best friends later in life in high school it's funny and how like, that happens you, you know him Ch- do you remember Chad uh Chad Perez yeah, of course he was he was uh we were in like a kind of a metal band in high school <laughs> <laughs> Chad was awesome um, but when we were like in second grade or something, he said, we said something mean to each other. I don't know. I punched him in the lunchroom and he punched me, you know, or something. And I got in big trouble. And I can remember like the feeling of when like my mom found out and it was this dread. It was this awful feeling like, you know, I'm the worst. I've done something horrible uh-huh. and there's no way out. And, it, and um, that's what I felt like. Saturday afternoon, hanging out with my family in the kitchen with nothing going on. Like yeah. there's no, there's nothing happening. You know, there's, there's no reason. Um, it just, it just strikes and that feeling of dread strikes. Well, I think it's important um, to remember, especially for somebody, um, like yourself who, um, has to deal with these, uh, and especially like for you with the, in, with, with that example uh of what happened like you were just with your family you guys were enjoying a saturday afternoon and then it just happened i think it's important to remember that there are many factors that go into why a panic attack could happen and i it's it's better it's not it's not helpful to think about like I wasn't in a state of panic attack and now I am. And it's better to kind of think like the way water boils. And if you look at water um, at 40 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and actually let's use a Celsius because it's a lot easier. Uh, 40 degrees Celsius because um, water boils at, a, at 100 degrees Celsius and it freezes at zero. But water in water state, in liquid state at 40 um, it just looks like water. And if you begin to heat the water up at 60, it still just looks like water. And at 80 degrees, it's just water. And at 90, at 93, 96, it's still just water. It, nothing happens. But at 100 degrees, something happens where the temperature, if you keep applying heat, so if you keep input, if you have an input of energy into the system at 100 degrees exactly, something strange happens. All of those water molecules um, stop heating up for a second for a brief moment. It's like, if you were to look at a trajectory, it's kind of like this, um, uh, this, this, this linear scale going up 
correlated to how fast you're heating it. And then as soon as you hit that 100 degree mark, it plateaus. So it kind of plateaus off and that's where the phase change happens. So it happens all at once. And so the time, it's like over time you are heating, 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 and it doesn't look like anything's happening. And then all at once you have these molecules that switch from liquid to, to gas, to vapor, all at the same time. And you're like, I can't believe, and if you're looking from the outside in, if you're looking, if you're standing outside the system looking, you were like one second it was liquid, and now the next second it's gas. But if you're in the system, you realize that the molecules at 40 degrees Celsius were moving very slowly, but the molecules at 80 or 90 have been actually moving a lot faster, but you don't see it. You can't feel like when you're not physically in and, and acknowledging the the system energy inputs, like it just looks like water. And so you can be sitting at 99 degrees Celsius on a Saturday afternoon and everything is fine. And one little bit of energy input and all of a sudden, boom, now that phase changed. Now you have a, a, an anxiety or a panic attack and you're like, nothing happened, but it can be something as small as a five-year-old child running around um, that is not listening. And, it, and you're like, I love this kid. This isn't, you know, like my family shouldn't cause this. And they do and they don't. I mean, because like stress factors are energy inputs into the system. That's all it is. And and when you have, the, it, like this is why it's so important to to recognize these, um, the, in a sense, these biomarkers, these these chemical inputs that are happening. Because if you can recognize, like I'm internally at 95 degrees and I can't have more input, otherwise I'm going to have a panic attack. And it's going to ruin my whole afternoon because then you're sitting there trying to calm yourself down, trying to tell your brain and your body, I'm safe, I'm okay. Um, but it's, it's important to recognize that you weren't at 40 degrees Celsius on Saturday afternoon. You probably were at 99. And that's all it took mm. was one degree of energy, was one unit of energy input into your life. And that can be something like just a small uh, argument with your wife or you know, a child that won't stop <laughs> yelling, <laughs> which I am now experiencing uh, uh, spending time with Andy and Sam. They have a three-year-old holy hmm. moly <laughs> this is changing my outlook on having children holy moly just defiance is all it is <laughs> you never um you never experienced panic attacks until until now is what you're saying so the kid <laughs> except for the, you, you, they're not panic attacks it. they're just uh <laughs> I'm, I'm just really 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 afraid of having kids <laughs> um you know, yeah, I think it's important. It's hard, harder than it looks. Yeah. I think it's important. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, 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 obviously you're familiar with the um, the artist Jewel, um, Jewel Kilcher. She is probably one of the most, uh, for me, one of my most respected musicians of all time. But not so much because of her music, but because of who she is as a person. Um, and she is so self aware. She has so she had panic attacks for years and years as a kid. And um, she talks about him pretty openly. And uh, have you heard her Joe Rogan podcast? Um, Parts of it, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I encourage you to go back and listen. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was, it's, an, it's unbelievable, because she talks about um, the human body state only. Uh, there, really, there's only two basic states to the human body, and she calls it either dilated or contracted. 
Um, you were either open or, or you were closed. And any one thing that you do is either leading to a state of dilation or contraction. So like, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life at any one time, the thing that you are doing or experiencing is either in a state of contraction, it's either closing you up or it's dilating you, it's opening you up. It's one or the other. You cannot be in two states at the same time. And if you can understand that, if you can understand that idea that you're, you yourself cannot be in two states, a state of a panic attack is a state of constriction. It is a, it, it, you are contracted. Your body is pulling in in order to save itself. Um, and what she did was she, under, she understood that, but she didn't know how to fix it. And she had this thought that, um, and she's just a really interesting person. She said, uh, you know, like the hands are the servants, um, you, the hands are the, uh, the servants to your thoughts, basically. Everything, um, if you want to know what you were thinking, uh, watch your hands and watch what your hands are doing. Um, your hands are thoughts that are cooled down into action because your hands are just obeying thoughts. It's really interesting. And so she took for two weeks, she just started to write down everything that her hands did, which is kind of a strange, it's kind of like this strange idea. She, she was just, she was trying, she was experimenting with herself. And she realized that when she focused on being present and being aware, when she was there in real time, writing down and like, you know, did you shake this person's hand? Did you not? Did you like, did you lead with your hands? Like all the, I mean, did you, you know, like when you met someone, what, like what were your hands doing? Were you pet? Were they on your lap? Were you scratching your face? Like all of these things, she was just writing down what her cooled down thoughts were um, from her brain, which, uh, you know, manifest themselves into her hands. And what she found was that she stopped having panic attacks for two full weeks because she was concentrating on being completely um, uh, present in the moment. And what that did was that, that dilated her experience. So in, in these moments where she would normally go into contraction and constriction, where these these environments that which caused her normally to like to contract in, she focused on her hands and allowed her to dilate. It allowed her to open up to the experience, and she stopped having panic attacks entirely. So I I would say if somebody is is just at a loss and don't don't know what to do, you steal that idea or find something something small that you can do constantly that you could, but something within yourself um, that you're watching, uh, you know your breathing patterns. Like how many times do you breathe a minute? You know, like if is, is this something that you can do every time you do something, you write it down or you you take a note because what this does is it pulls you into an awareness. Because obviously the panic attacks, anxiety lives in a state of subconscious. It is completely underneath the, uh, the basic consciousness that you have. And so if you can pull your awareness to your consciousness, then you're, un you're less likely to have a panic attack because you're going to be in a more dilated state. Hmm. No, that's, that's good wisdom, man. Um, I say I listened to parts of the jewel. Joe Rogan episode because I mean how can anyone every episode's four hours long it's so hard to get <laughs> well I think this one's so gonna hard be to get through this one's gonna be about three hours I anticipate right yeah right <laughs> yeah um you know that's that's good man um that how makes long a lot have of you... sense to try to to try to do something to alter you know to pay attention to something and I would say like because I have 
you know, I, I have, um, I would say occasional, um, bouts with depression. And so in though like at, in those times, um, or seasons, you know, I try to, what, you know, to cope, I try to add something, you know, to, to whatever my routine is. I try to do something additional. I try to create something, <coughs> excuse me. I try to create something new, I guess. And to, to pull my focus away from, away from that. I'm, you know, that I'm feeling awful and, and that usually helps. So that makes sense with, you know, in a moment of extreme anxiety to, to do something similar. Well, I, I, you know, and I encourage you to keep doing that. I encourage you to find something that you can consume, um, physically, uh, um, whether that be, um, a podcast, whether that be, I mean, because like you need, everything you do is a form of consumption. Everything you see, everything you hear, everything you eat. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, and then when you change that consumption, that changes your brain. I mean, everything, everything that you consume changes you, right? Whether it's food or your experiences, um, or those around you, what you listen to. Um, but you have to be careful and intentional about what we consume. Um, a lot of us have even been like trained to consume like toxic things and, and like call it love. Um, you know, it's a form of like this emotional dyslexia that we have. Um, I mean, for me, like what I, what I was taught love meant is really like a form of like toxic emotional, uh, is like, um, really extremely toxic. Like these, these things. Like I codependency. Was, exactly. Like, yes. Like yeah. I, I was consuming these things that were toxic emotionally and mentally and taught that that was love. Um, and it's like this emotional dyslexia that I had, you know, um, I thought that pain and toxic experience was what love was supposed to be. Like I, I, I was, I mean, that's what I thought it was supposed to be. So like retraining that emotional dyslexia, like starts with being intentional on what you consume and asking questions like, um, what nourishes me? Um, what nourishes my the in, the most inward part of who I am as a person, um, especially like if I I mean because I have anxiety, likely the same uh, the same uh, form of anxiety I have, I just have a different physical response. Um, you know, a lot of times I just go masturbate and I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I watch extreme porn and I'm good to go. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm 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 good. Uh, but like I have I have a different physical. Emotion. I have a different physical response than you do, um, but I need to ask like, what nourishes me, and what am I currently consuming in this environment that I have that I'm that I am confusing for nourishment? And I think mm -hmm. I think that's the question. Like, what am I consuming right now? And especially if I'm somebody that 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 experiences panic attacks, I think one of the first questions I would ask is, what am I consuming? in my environment right now that I am confusing for nourishment. Because if I have been taught that, I mean, for example, I, I mean, the, the, I'm, I'm thankful I don't deal with that. Um, I mean, I deal with other things, you know, I'm, I'm thankful I don't deal with panic attacks, but if I did, I would probably look at my life and say, what, 
what is the thing that I'm calling love that actually is really toxic? What is the thing that I'm confusing for nourishment? And that's probably where I would start. Like that would be my starting point. Because if, if, I'm, if I'm looking to pull myself out of a state of panic attacks or probably put myself in a preventative state, I need to change what I consume. And I would need to change it emotionally and I would need to change it mentally. And it would start with asking the question, what am I confusing? What am I confusing mm. for nourishment? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, oof. It's heavy stuff today, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I wonder if, um, so I'll, I guess I'll start, I'll start this thought by saying that um, in no way is my experience of this, I, you know, I've not done everything right. I've not handled um, my own mental health journey probably in the most healthy way. Um, I've, I've done, you know, I've, I've done things in the past six or eight years, um, to try to help myself. I've seen doctors, um, I've been on different kinds of medication at different, at, in different times. Um, and, um, one thing I haven't done um, that I regret and I should do, and I think I will do at some point is sit down with a professional listener, right? Someone, someone who is, you know, a counselor or a therapist of some kind, uh, to talk through, uh, to talk through a lot of this stuff. I have not done that. Um, I've tried to do some therapy, uh, in myself and I've treated, a lot of my conversations with you, Mark, like therapy. I probably owe you quite a bit of money. <laughs> oh, I've billed you. Um, it's coming. Don't worry. Yeah. Um. So that being said, um, I don't. I don't recommend that. I. I, I recommend certainly talking to, to a professional. Uh, if if you're in this circumstance. Um. Well, a lot of people dive into that, therapy. Um if they ever even get that far uh, and, and they see one therapist and they're like, yeah, I saw him for like six weeks or even six months and they didn't help. Um, and other people are like, yeah, it was the best thing. Everyone needs therapy. And there are these like contrasting opinions when it comes to therapy. Let me be very clear. Everyone needs a therapist. And, um, but that comes in different, it, it comes in different forms and different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean somebody who is, uh, you know, a paid um, therapist or a clinical psychologist, um, but sometimes it does. And it's also really important for you, not, the brain has something called, I think it's called cognitive dissolution um, or cognitive disassociation, that's what it is, where you experience one thing and then that thing becomes reality for you. Like, oh no, I saw, like when you meet somebody and you're like, oh, you should go see a therapist and they say, therapy doesn't work. Because their mm -hmm. one experience has polarized that yeah. ex that entire situation for them, or you meet somebody and you're like, um, and they say, "Yeah, therapy 100% works." It's across. It, it's 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 this spectrum. Sometimes you meet with somebody and you just need that's just not not the right therapist for you, and you need to absolutely mm -hmm. see somebody. And sometimes 
sitting in the middle of the woods with yourself and your thoughts. And the bigness of this universe is also therapy. And sometimes talking on a podcast is therapy. I think that the root thought here is the journey of self um, to, to continue to ask yourself the questions like, who am I? And why am I? And what are the things that are in me that I feel like shouldn't be? Or what parts of me, um, like for example, uh, um, I had a bunny when I was a kid, right? And this bunny was, uh, <laughs> was raised with, uh, in a chicken coop because uh, it, I, it was the only bunny I had, but I had a bunch of chickens. Um, and after a little while, this bunny literally thought it was a chicken, like 100%. And uh, it, it, it would like pecked at its food and it fucking waddled funny. It didn't even have like a hop like other bunnies. It like waddled like a chicken and it would lay on the nest, on the eggs, and it would hatch the eggs for the chicken. This bunny did all of these things. Um, and it was like, that was really cute. Like that whole process was really cute. Um, until you take a step back and you ask yourself, if you ask yourself the question, like, what if, what if I'm a bunny who thinks I'm a chicken? Like, and how will I ever know what I am if what I was raised around is what I think I am? And I need to find a way to figure out what my nature is outside of the systems that are given around me at any time, like the dichotomy between self and other. And this idea of therapy that you're talking about is the journey of self, the finding out of who you are outside of the systems that tell you who you are. So I, I brought up therapy and tried to kind of unqualify myself as someone who's not had... Um, you know, a professional experience with therapy, basically to set up and say that if I've done any kind of recent sort of psychoanalyzing of myself and trying to determine, like, what are the roots of these feelings of anxiety and, and um, where does this come from in me? What, what you know, where's the trauma maybe that I have to figure out and work through and deal with. Um, what you just said a, a few minutes ago about what are you consuming? Yeah. And is that really, is that really nurturing to you? That, that made me, that made me, you know, even go back and think right now um, because I had a hard time as you were saying that thinking about, I mean, obviously there are things I consume that are not nurturing, like hot pockets, you know, <laughs> and like <laughs> there are, you know, there are things like, uh, uh you know, Velveeta shells and cheese and so you know, things good, like that, though. right? There's, there's things that are not nurturing that I consume, but in those moments, you know, um, it's so strange, Mark, because as a, as a, uh, you know, associate pastor at a church dealing with lots of stressful situations all the time, didn't experience this very much, at least not in those moments. Um, as a, you know, manager at a big department store, you know, 
running a big business like that, lots of stressful situations every day, did not experience, you know, anxiety and panic in those moments. The moments that I feel it the most are at home. Um, and, and so, you know, in light of what you said, that challenges me, um, because the thing I'm consuming is all good. Like I have amazing kids, amazing family, everything is wonderful. So let me go back. And I think, I think the, the puzzle is starting to make sense to me. Um, so when I was, when I was seven years old, I have a really vivid memory of uh, being up late one night, um, not being able to sleep. And this is, you know, where like I just could not turn my brain off. At, at seven years old, I was thinking about um, how most of the kids in my school, most of my friends, um, their parents were divorced. They They lived in like blended families or separated families or and I was in this family where we were all together my dad my mom my brothers we were all there you know I felt like that was so strange and I couldn't stop thinking about how lucky I was that that I was in that situation that there were maybe four other friends of mine that that were you know everyone lived at home there wasn't any divorce or broken up families. And I don't know why at seven, I was thinking about that. I don't know why. Um, it still doesn't really make sense. Um, but all night, I remember playing in my head, these scenarios of what if my parents got divorced? Mm. What, what if something happened? W- would I live with, would I pick who I live with? Is that a real thing? Do you get to choose? Would I have to move? Would my brothers stay? Would they go? You know, would we get split up? What would that be like? What you know? And so all night it felt like I was awake, um, worried about this, thinking about this, consumed by this. Mm. And it was the next morning that my mom told me that uh, my dad was going to move out, and that they mm. were going to get a divorce. Um, and in the weeks that followed, in the months. I can remember so many grown-ups telling me that it was not my fault. You know, that's what all the grown-ups make sure to tell you all the time. It, it, it's not your fault. You didn't do this. You didn't, you know, this is this is not your fault. Um, and if they hadn't said that so much, I might not have thought about it hmm. being, my, being my fault you know uh, oh, <laughs> i might not have even considered that it was my fault oh it's um, interesting certainly like as an adult as a grown-up i can reason and logic that you know it's definitely not my fault um but the but thought wasn't even there at, as a little kid i don't know i feel like maybe i started to think and develop this idea that I, by staying up late the night before and playing all these scenarios in my head and being worried and anxious about this happening someday, and then it happened the next day, maybe there was some seed planted um, that made me feel like I did create that. You know, maybe maybe I felt like um, I now have to control 
everything that I can control because, um, look at what happens, you know, if I don't some, that so you know, so now I have, I live in this life with this amazing family where, um, <laughs> we're good. Like we're all good. Everyone's happy. My wife and I love each other very much. And when we do disagree, we, we talk through it and work on it in a, in a healthy way. And that's the priority for us is, you know, dealing with things in a healthy way so that we don't get into that position. Um, but maybe because of those, you know, seeds planted when I was really little, maybe the, what, what really is kind of a, you know, picturesque family life. Mm. Um, maybe that's this, maybe that's scary. May, and I've never thought of it that way that maybe, you know, maybe it's the two of those pictures, um, against each other that creates that anxiety. I don't know. Um, but I can't, when I think about what I consume and whether or not it is nurturing in those moments where my temperature hit, hits a hundred, uh, you know, per year illustration, what I'm usually consuming is, you know, playtime with David and Kaylin and being together as a family all together. Well, I do want to, I do want to, that's what's happening. Clarify most panic attacks happen in safe spaces. Um, they don't often happen when you're in a state of high stress. They happen after when your mm. body has calmed down and it's safe. Then that's when this um, dissonance happens. And that's when the panic attack typically, now th this isn't always, but panic attacks often happen at your most safe physical space. So your home, your bed. Um, before, like before you go to sleep and you're wrapped in your comforter, like that's like one of the most safest places you can be, but it's also one of the most vulnerable places you, you are when you're home. It's you're, you're the one at the one of the most vulnerable States you've let down your guard and that's when it happens. And I think, I think you're, you're probably hitting on these deep, deeply rooted issues that you don't necessarily have to heal from. I think you just need to be aware of because it's not like you have to go back to seven year old Ashlyn and tell that kid, Hey, it's not your fault because <laughs> it's <laughs> nothing would change you. Um, you know, like that's what was told to him. And it almost, you know, threw him into this violent spin of now you have a family and now you have something that can be completely destroyed. And that fear of you having a lot to lose, having a family to lose, I can't imagine how deathly terrifying that is. You probably, I mean, the fear probably doesn't live in a conscious state, but this possible that, I mean, we talked about fear being a thief, like it's possible that fear from when you were a kid way back then is projecting that past into some form of a future now and stealing your safety. And even if that's not a conscious thought or even a subconscious, maybe it is so far down you don't even recognize it, but it's there. And it's just enough to put you over the edge. And all you can do 
in those states in those cases is is to have a tool belt is to have three or four or five different different tools in your tool belt on how you can respond physically and emotionally when you feel them coming on if you know you feel them coming on or if you don't what to do in those moments in order to cool that water back down back down to a liquid state but I think all right. Well, I, I guess I'm healed. <laughs> but raise the Lord, you healed. No, I think I think that this is like I think we're touching on a subject that we probably should have uh, like five different conversations on, and I feel like we need yeah. to have like five different types of people that are to come on and talk about and share about their different um, different experiences with anxiety. I mean, like from we could do a whole five episode series on just my mental health issues if you want. <laughs> We can do my eating disorder next. And, then, <laughs> and mine too. We can do some of yours. You have obviously have a have a masturbation problem. So I have an interesting about that. I have an interesting relationship with food. Um, I mean, we all do. Uh, um, well, for sure. I've, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, Go ahead. no, you're good, man. You know, I anxiety is is weird for me. Like I think about like the most stressful or the most anxiety ridden time in my life. And it was probably this year. It's probably earlier this year. Um, and I've talked about this a few times with you. Um, when in that small window where, uh, my mom passed away and, um, I didn't really know what to, man, I, that was, that was such a dark season for me, but anxiety looked different for me at that point. It, it wasn't, it wasn't anxiety for me in that, in the, in those moments, it wasn't like a, um, like sometimes anxiety for me uh, feels like uh, like a high resonate like a, a resonance like a really high resonance in my soul or in my in my brain where like I I can't rest like there's just a it, it's it's inside of me I, I I can't there's no state at which rest exists and then there's another form of anxiety where there's no state at which I can find energy. And both of those are equally as draining because if I can't find rest, then I can't sleep. And if I can't find energy, then I can't wake. And it's like all, mm -hmm. both of those live infinitely close to each other. But I remember, I remember being, well, man, it was, I was so low. I just remember feeling so broken. Like every, it was just like there was so much brokenness in me, and I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to process. I didn't. I didn't know how to even get through a day because I'm like, if so much of me is broken, like how am I? How am I supposed to operate? Like I, I feel like if I'm a watch, like an old fashioned watch, or if I'm a car, like how much? How many things can go wrong before the car doesn't function? You know, if it's a few things like the heater core and the heat goes out, it sucks, but you're, you know, you can still operate. Like there's a few things in me that can go wrong where the anxiety is so much, but I can still function. But there comes a point where I feel like so many things are broken that I can't even function. Hmm. And I remember one morning, uh, have you, have you heard about the, um, the allegory of the golden statue? Maybe, but you can, you can well, tell me. It's, it's uh, it's a story. I don't know if it's if it's uh, historical or if it's just a story that was told 
Um, but there, there was like this village uh, a long, long time ago, um, hundreds of years ago, and they were prepar- they were preparing to go to war um, against another village, and they had this really, really, really. Um, it was like their treasured statue. It was what they worshipped, um, and it was made of pure gold. And they hid it. They covered it. They like covered the statue in mud in order to hide its value during the war. So they they literally packed all of the the statue. They packed its legs and arms, and and they created like this fake statue. Um, made of of like this mud encased in mud and they did a great job because they made it look like a mud statue and they just put it off to the side and once the war was over like so many people died and those that packed that created the statue they all died and they were cleaning up and and this this statue got forgotten about and for hundreds of years this statue of mud remained in the corner of this village that nobody cared about. And it was just a mud statue that was there. And so many hundreds of years later, this massive rain came and floods came and started chipping away at the mud. And it started to reveal the gold that was there all along. And I started to think to myself, what what if I'm approaching all of this wrong? Like, what if I'm approaching the narrative that I'm telling myself? Because I tell myself I'm so broken, like I can barely function. But what if I'm approaching all of this wrong? What if it's not that I'm broken and I have to fix these broken things? Because like in this time, it felt I felt so broken. But what if the soul and the nature of who we are as humans are not like a car or a chair or a cup that can be broken, but what if it exists perfectly? Well, what if who we are exists perfect at all times, like this, this, this quantum thing or this, this gold statue that can't be broken? What if I just have to do some really like, loving archaeological dig back to the nature of myself back to like my true nature and it made me ask these questions like what are the things that have built up over the years that I slowly need to chip away at what if I'm not broken but what if I'm buried because broken me lives in anxiety Broken me needs that is dark, ex- existential anxiety where I can't breathe and also I can't sleep and also I can't wake. But what if it's buried me? What if I've just been built up over years of pain and I just need to do this loving archaeological dig? this let the flood let the rain come the thing that i'm so fucking scared of get out of my safe place and into the rain outside and let it just begin to chip away like what is what is the love what what is the rain 
I mean, and that I think that that's like the next question I have to ask myself is like, what is the love that washes this away? Like, what what is the rain that begins to chip away the on this mud that I've built up on the outside of my statue? Like, I feel like it's almost easier to view myself and to say that I am a whole, and to say what what part of me is not me. What are the things in the systems that I've been raised in that have taught me and confused me on what nourishment is, that taught me I was a chicken and really I'm not? Like, what are the things that have built up over the years that I need to chip away at? This dichotomy of me and not me. And that's where I feel like, for me, that's where not it's not a resolve of anxiety i think it's an awareness like that's where i can step to the side and look at my anxiety as not a part of me but also a completely a part of me because it is and it's a real part of me and that those are the questions i'm asking myself what are the things that have built up over the years that i need to chip away at what are the things that i'm confusing for nourishment evangelical culture <laughs> this kind of feels a little christiany doesn't it no i don't mean what you're saying i mean that's the bullshit that you have to wash away <laughs> isn't it funny how we <laughs> use the term wash away which is yeah. a term that's used in christianity but we're talking about washing away the evangelical bullshit that's been built that up whole, over the years <laughs> that whole yeah no i didn't think of it that way until until you said that but that story and that illustration does feel real, real, you know, there's a lot of words and terms that are uh, just so triggering, <laughs> like, <laughs> as far as that, we got to wash it away, yeah. you know, or what's the thing, like, oh, man. You know, and and, and honestly, like, he, hearing, hearing myself say that, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I feel like a fucking Christian again, but at the You're same like time... Pastor. Give it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, right, everyone, like, there is a... R- write down the mud that's on your statue on this piece of paper. And then we're going to go it's outside. That's pastor heart thing right there. We're going to wash... Did yep. I t- ever tell you that story that I did I did that once at the cemetery in Bellevue? Like, I took all the youth kids down did to the cemetery. Really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, like... I mean, we weren't supposed to be there. You can't dig holes in the cemetery. No, you cannot. <laughs> but I did. Oh, so I... I preached this, I I gave this message while I was digging the a hole. So like I was, I don't know if I was watching a lot of like Rob Bell at the time or just think like I was doing stuff like this where I'd write on a whiteboard or like do something while I, and so I gave this whole message about, I don't even remember burying something or, you know, whatever the point was. But while I was digging this hole, I was talking the whole time and then eventually had them, you know, they all wrote something down and we buried it in the in the cemetery but that's what that that statue story reminded me of (laughs) well you know it's i i felt myself saying it and i felt the triggers of myself saying it like man this feels like i'm back to this christian but there's there's a lot of truth behind that story like and there's a lot of truth so i don't want this to sound like i don't know maybe i'm too hard 
on the Christian on the on the, the I shouldn't say the, on the Christians. I'm too hard on the church and the culture sometimes. There's still value to to these concepts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, like these are very valuable concepts. I think there's you know there's a lot. Story um, changes people. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, that's why the and story the of Jesus is the... so powerful because it's a story, and mm-hmm. if I can grab onto smaller stories that help me see myself a little bit better, like if I can view myself as a whole, and then ask the question, "What is just not a part of me that I need to get rid of?" versus "I'm broken and I need to be fixed," because man, that's a lot of work. Like figuring yeah. out all well, that's... the things that are wrong. That's what made, and I think makes, uh, pastor art so, so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, because I have felt like the woman at the well. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I've been, I've now, I've been her. Like he's made, like he's told, he tells stories and illustrates things in a way and uses, you know, uses whatever is around, you know, he's just so good at, at showing you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, showing you things, and, even the, yeah. the story of the prodigal son, uh-huh. I was the older brother, the one yeah. they don't talk about. He, he did, he preached a message on the prodigal son, but he talked about the older brother, the one that didn't yeah. run away. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> that's me. I was the one that was, always faithful. I was the one, the one I never, I never doubted. I never stopped working. And I feel like I was never praised and I was, there was no parties for me out of all the work I did. I was never thanked. And I was like, Uh Oh man, that is, that's me. And then like these idiots that leave and they come back, everyone's like, yeah, let's go celebrate the, the fucking heretic that left and came back. And I'm like, what about me? Like, I want somebody to recognize the fact that I've put years and years and years of work and, and you know, like, oh God, that was, that's really fucking good. That's a great message. Mm-hmm. But that's why these stories, that's why they work. They help us see ourselves. And I think that's that's really important when you talk about anxiety is is changing your viewpoint, asking yourself what, what like what are you consuming, you know like is there things that you're confusing for nourishment, you know, um, asking yourself what is not you, what part of you is not you. I think that's what I think that's the the biggest question for me of this year of 2021 is what part of me is not me. And that's a really hard question for me to ask because it requires me to let some stuff go. And there's parts of me that I really like, even if that shit is the mud that needs to go. It's even if it's not part of me, I like, that's hard. I, 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 I'm afraid of the rain. I'm afraid of what I'm going to lose. I'm afraid of it but it doesn't serve me. It doesn't, it doesn't help me. It doesn't, it only hides the, the true nature of me. It only hides the core of me. You shouldn't be afraid of the rain. Um, because in your case, the rain seems to be 
furious masturbation. <laughs> Vicious. So I don't. I don't what's what's there to fear? It's it's what I call a loving archaeological dig. <laughs> it's dude. I think I think this needs to be like an intro to a much bigger series <coughs> of podcasts that we need to do because this we're just scratching the surface of of some of the biggest issues in all of humanity is self is yeah. is the the narrative that you tell yourself i mean in whether that's that's consciously or subconsciously like you are a result of the narrative that you tell yourself. So how do we change the narrative in order to find the true nature of who we are, of ourselves? How do we find ourselves? Yeah. So I think in a recent episode, I mentioned that, um, that, uh, I had recently read, um, or had like on my phone, like the, the four agreements, um, and that, that was a really impactful book for me. I don't, I don't know if you've read it, Mark. Um, but this whole concept of, so the, the premise of the book is that, you know, we have, we all have an inner voice an inner dialogue, and that's the most important dialogue that you have is the communication that you have with yourself and what you come to believe about yourself and, and the, the premise here is that everything we believe is essentially an agreement that we've made with ourselves. It's, it's, you know, something that we have decided, um, that we believe and, and think. And so the, the four agreements, um, you have them on the back of your phone, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I have them right here. So the, and this is like, this is how you change the narrative in my mind. And this is something I've started to try to implement, but this, this is the narrative. It, you know, it's either this or it's something else. And the something else isn't something that I want it to be. So, um, you know, just, just to run through it, I'm not going to dive into all four. Maybe this is something we'll get into in a later episode because I think it's really important. And, and it's what's, it's what's helped me, in my worst, most recent seasons. But the first agreement is to be impeccable with your word. Mm. That means, you know, what you say, is it really what you think and believe? Or are you, are you, you know, talking shit, <laughs> essentially? It doesn't just mean are you lying or telling the truth. It means are you saying, are you, are you impeccable with, the, with, with what comes out of you? Mm. Is, it, is it full of integrity? Are you saying what you mean? And then the second agreement is to not take anything personally. So nothing that anybody else um, says or does is ever actually because of you, right? It's because of their internal dialogue yeah. and what they have decided they believe about the world. Even if, if you have influenced them in some way, it, it, what they say and think is their choice and it's not you and it's not caused by you. So to take things personally, um, to decide that you are upset or, you know, you are 
not okay because of what someone else thinks or feels. That doesn't make any sense. And it's so hard um, to do that though. It, oh man, it's so that's, hard to. That's not probably take the hardest personally. one. Yeah, and that I mean, as someone who deals with anxiety, that's you know to me probably the the hardest thing is to because I want to ple- I want everyone to be happy all around me all the time, and so to feel like you know someone is not happy and that's my fault. That's the hardest and worst thing. Um, the third thing is to not make assumptions, you know, so to instead of making assumptions about what other people think and acting on that, you know, be, be, be courageous, ask questions, you know, say what you really want. Um, you know, ask if, if, you know, what, if what someone, if what you think, what you're interpreting is what's actually factual, you know, um, and then the the fourth one is to just always do your best, you know. Are are you really doing your best in in whatever situation, whatever circumstance? And so when you, you, you know, for me, um, just trying to change the inner dialogue around those four concepts, you know, it, that's the starting point. And um, you know, it's either that or it's not that. And the not that, again, is uh, it's not as good, right? I don't know how else to put it. it you know, I would much rather, um, I'd much rather have an inner dialogue that is surrounded by, um, you know, asking myself those questions. Am I doing my best? Am I really being impeccable with my word? Am I saying what I mean? And, and you know, do I have integrity? with mm. what I'm doing and what I'm saying. Um, am I taking things personally or am I, am I able to, you know, be stoic in situations and not worry about the things that I can't control? You know, that, that's the, that's the starting point. Well, I think also, you know, I, I know these things consciously and I can think but especially, especially the one where it's the one that says, don't take things personally. I I know this. I know this uh to exist in my logical mind frame. So I I can say, "Oh, don't think don't take things personally." It, it's it's easy because um people view the world through the lens at which is created in their brain. And so I can tell you something like um you know, like it, it literally doesn't matter. I can say, I love you. And, and you are going to hear that through the lens of you. And so, um, then you're going to interpret that. And when you say, it's like you view the world as you are, not the world as it is. No one views the world as it is. You view the world as you are. And so if people see the world, um, as extremely violent and hateful, they probably have a lot of violence and hate in their in their heart and in their soul. And if you view the world and you think it's like, especially like those the hippies, I love the hippies because they're like the world is fairies and dancing and and all of these things. It's probably because they have a lot of love in their heart. That's how they view the world because that's how they are. But man, is it hard to not take things personally because I'm just such a personal person. Like I I'm so. I'm I'm affected so deeply because I care so deeply. And so when someone especially says something about my character 
and I know who I am. I, I, I know the things I need to work on. I know the downfalls. I know the things I'm good at. But when someone points them out, I'm just like, oh, it's so personal to me because it's me and I'm a person. But I am still working on recognizing that people project it's themselves. And to say it now, it's super easy. But to, to create that gap between myself and myself and recognize that what's happening falls into one of those four agreements. And I can be like, okay, all right, come on, Mark. Don't take this personal. As I'm like crying in the corner, I'm like, don't take this personal. They're, that's them. They are, that's who they are. They're viewing the world as they are. They're projecting their pain onto this world and onto you. Don't take things personally. Uh, Be impeccable with your words so when you say you're gonna show up, show up. All these things, it's much easier to talk about than it is in reality. And that's my goal is to close that gap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there are moments that I'm better at closing that gap than others. Um, That's for sure. Yeah, man. Um, So so we'll revisit this. Uh, we'll, We'll come back to this. We'll probably have some other fluffier episodes uh, in between, um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna sign off. And I would say my cat my cat just uh, came to say hello. <laughs> I would say if you are somebody that deals with anxiety, um, please reach out to a professional. If you're dealing with thoughts of suicide, please, please, please reach out to a professional. Um, yeah. And if you are unsure of who to reach out to, reach out to me, reach out to Ashlyn. Um, if you do not know who we are, uh, I quickly will a phone call. I, I am like, we are humans. We are all in this together. Um, there's no reason that I, we can't all find the love that we so desperately need together. Um, we're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. None of us are. Uh, we're all just figuring out how to do this thing called life. So, Ashlyn, thank you for being vulnerable, man. I think um, these conversations start at a place of self-evaluation. And I've always been really, uh, it's, it's really admirable. Um, your ability to recognize the things in your life that you need in your self-state your self-awareness is something that i admire man thanks man i appreciate that um yeah yeah i love you buddy i love you too man